got a psalm about dew and oil and Aaron and anybody else want to preach it? <laughs> You're welcome to come on up here. Um, I'm Janet. I'm a pastor on staff and it's just been, uh, it's so beautiful having been in these Psalms of Ascent. And as was just said, we are in our last one. Psalm 133. And that first verse, Psalm 133 verse 1 says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And I really believe that um, as I was working through this sermon, the Lord wants to do some, wanted to do some work in my heart, and I believe he wants to do some in all of yours as well. So make sure this morning that you have your sermon notes with you, okay, because we're going to use them for a little bit of reflection towards the end of the sermon. And um, let me pray for us. God, um, I thank you that you are the great unifier. And I, I thank you that you know we are but dust, but you fill us and unify us by your Holy Spirit, and you call us to holiness, and you call us to unity with one another. So, Father, soften our hearts as we listen to your word and help us to be obedient to what it is that you put on each individual's heart this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So um, Psalm 133 is going to be up there. It says this. There's another version of it that says um, how good and pleasant it is when God's people dwell in unity, when they dwell in unity. And that word dwell um, really struck me. I don't know, there's something about that word that's warm and inviting. It means to delay. It means to linger with one another. I think that's something a lot of you do really well with one another. To abide, to remain, to continue, to live in a place. And I think as the connection pastor here, there's lots of people who come in from other parts of the country, different places in life. Um, We all know life is difficult. There's death, there's disease, there's disappointment, there's heartache. And people come in here and they want a place where they can dwell, where they can be known by God and they can know others. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for this safe haven, this place. And I think because our, our society has gotten a little bit crazy um, with tech, technology and our travel and where we live there's so many different things we could do or we we, and sometimes we feel pressure to do and we just we just have this I do I have this desire that I want to dwell with people and I'm finding that hard to do Um, I was reading an interview the other night Um, this woman was interviewing this young man and the whole time during the interview he was picking up he was going like this She's asking him questions, and she's going, he's going like this, like that. And finally, she just said, stop it, stop it. And he said, but what? Somebody might be trying to get a hold of me. And she said, I'm trying to get a hold of you, and I'm sitting right here. I'm sitting right I mean, that's what it feels like out there. And so when people come here, they want to dwell, and they want to dwell in unity. The, the um, Israelites were going to Jerusalem, and this, we've said this all the way along. This is a psalm they sang, and this is an experience that they had. But we know that unity wasn't what they experienced all the time. They were just like us, just like us, people who struggled to be unified with their family members, their brothers, their sisters, their people that they did not know. They struggled just like us. But they, it was holy in a sense. 
It's a foreshadowing of what we're going to have in eternity with the king. We are going to be walking and living in unity, all of us together, every tribe, every nation, every tongue. We will be unified. Um, but if you're like me, uh, you're, you're struggling with that. You're struggling with it in your marriage. You're struggling it with your friends, with family. Um, this last week, John and I have entered into a season of life that's busier than we thought we would ever be, quite honestly. And so we're feeling some disconnect just because we're super busy. And so I went in one morning, we're in the kitchen, and I said, Honey, I, you know, I feel disconnected from you. Um, what, what would make you feel more, dis, more connected to me? That's the question I asked him. And in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, he's going to say, let's go for a hike or a bike ride or something like that. But he didn't say that. He said, you know what it would be? It would be if you would come. He has a project going in Berkeley. If you would come to Berkeley and paint with me, Janet, that would make me feel more unified with you. And I honestly said out loud, well, that would work for you. That would work for you. And he's like, but I did it. I did do it. But the point of me telling you that story is that unity anywhere takes sacrifice, it takes intention, and it takes time. Those three things, those three words I want you to write down. Unity takes sacrifice, it takes intention, and it takes time. Jesus gave himself up for us to unify us with him and with one another. And that's what he calls us to um, as believers. But I know those pilgrims that were walking into Jerusalem, they're probably thinking, I don't want to go. I have work to do. And really, honestly, the guy from that other tribe, I don't really want to run into him. They, they were just like us that way, but God calls us back to, that is not what I have for you. I'm calling you to something holy. Unity is a holy thing that I died for. Um, in, in the Bible, you read all sorts of stories of disunity, actually. That's our history in many ways. Cain killed Abel. Lot quarreled with Abraham. Joseph's brothers hated him and sold him for a slave. Miriam and Aaron criticized their brother Moses, and it goes on and on and on. Jesus' disciples, they, they argued about who was greatest. The church starts in unity, but then you see all the way through the rest of the Bible, Paul and others crying out to the church saying, be unified, be unified, love each other. That's what he's always calling us to, love one another, die to yourself. If you think about people looking from the outside in on the church, so people that, you know, we live in a place where 6% of people go, believe in Jesus or even go to a church, 6%. So the people on the outside are looking, and I'm not saying outside these walls, but just um, people who are looking in and wondering who God is, they'll look at all our denominations and go, what? All these people say they believe in Jesus and they love Jesus, but they can't, they can't agree. They can't, they are not unified. Um, in our, on our staff, we struggle with staff tensions. There's things that, that always want, the enemy always wants to disunify the body of Christ. He's always working at us to try and rip us apart. And we as a staff are always trying to work towards the unity that Christ calls us to. You know this in your own lives. There's strife in your relationships. There's things. There's people. Um, but I found out through this sermon, preparing for it, really the biggest thing that causes disunity is my own sinful heart. It's me. 
It's my pride. It's my individualism. It's my fear. Um, It's my desire to control. It's my desire to hide. I'm the one. God, this morning, this is about each me and it's about each of you and your own heart before the Lord and examining it with him. Um, so they experienced unity in Jerusalem together. They experienced this holy thing together as one people. And then they had to go home, right? They had to go home. Some of us, I don't know if there's any young families in this room, but I'm going to show this picture because this was last week for a lot of people. It was, it was this. It was getting ready for school in the morning. And um, that is the least unifying activity a family can have, I think. You know, that's real life. That's what happens. We're all involved in real life. And I think we have to continually be reminding ourselves, and that's what we're going to be doing this morning, reminding ourselves about what God's word says about loving one another. The psalm goes on to say that this unity, this holy unity, is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. So this good and pleasant experience, this sense of this is how it's supposed to be when we gather together as the people of God, is compared to oil running down someone's head, soaking their beard, getting all over their clothes. And honestly, for me, that sounds just messy. It, it, oil, oil is sticky and it's it's hard to get off, right? I don't think Aaron did ever get that off his clothing. It was in his beard. And it's a specific oil. It's a specific oil, specific person, specific garments. And it does apply to us. Um, this is the oil that it was. It's in Exodus 30. It says, anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them so that they may serve me as priests. Say to the Israelites, This is my sacred anointing oil for the generations to come. Don't pour it on anyone else's body or make any other oil using the same formula. It is sacred, and you are to consider it sacred. Whoever makes perfume like it and puts it on another priest must be cut off from the people. So the oil was special. It smelled, so Aaron always had that aroma, and it was a beautiful aroma of really um, freedom, forgiveness, grace. That's what he embodied for the people. He, we can show a picture up there of Aaron. He was wearing this um, ephod, which is the clothing, and then on his, his chest is a breastplate, and that had the 12 tribes of Israel on it. Those little stones just represented the 12 tribes. So when the oil came down, it went all over him, and it went all over that, that, that breastplate. And he really is a picture for us of Christ. He's a picture of us, of the one, he's the mediator between God and man. He's the one who would offer sacrifices daily for himself and for the people. And in that place, he would connect the two. They would be connected. And he's a foreshadowing of Jesus coming to us as our great high priest. Our great high priest. And when all those those um, tribes were anointed. That's also a picture for us because the scriptures tell us later that um, in First Peter that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. So just like that oil was poured over Aaron and the, whole, and the 12 tribes, the Holy Spirit has been poured over the church. And we are one people. We are one nation. We are a holy priesthood that's to be united together to proclaim who Jesus is. And Jesus, through our unity in this supernatural, crazy way, demonstrates himself to those people who are outside of, his, of, his, of the church, the ones he's going to seek, the, one he's try, the ones he's trying to save. It says this in 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. God is making his appeal through us, and that's why our unity matters. It's why it matters that um, as I was getting ready for this sermon and God was working on my own heart and revealed to me that there was a person in my life that is part of the body of Christ that I had just kind of cut off. You know, it was kind of like a cold war, if the best way I can put it. They wouldn't know I had done it, but God knew I had done it. And that damages our unity and it damages our witness to the world. And I can't explain to you how that happens, but that's what scripture teaches us. So that's true. Um, I think this is crucial for us in the Bay Area. We are in a place where we are disconnected from one another. We're not dwelling together very well in some senses. And I think that dissipates us as a people and the impact that we can have in our communities. This is not a guilt trip. I'm guilty of this as well. I think what I want out of this is for everyone just to consider how can I um, commit myself to the body of Christ? How can I engage with other believers and allow them to get to know me and me to get to know them and to walk through life with them? Because that will have an impact that will move far out beyond this place. How many of you um, watched the news and saw what happened in Louisiana, the, the floods? You know what? That, that was t awful to see, but the witness of Christ that was shown on TV and then went all over the world was a beautiful thing. Those people who loved Jesus came together to seek, to serve, and to rescue. And in their unity, you saw a picture. You saw Jesus in a way you wouldn't see him any other way. Um, Jesus prayed this before he uh, was arrested. And Carlos says it's the only thing he prayed for us. I don't know if that's true. Um, but that's what Carlos says. He prayed in John 17, 21. He prayed that we would all be one, as you, Father, and are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. So not too many people in the Bay Area come to church and experience the Holy Spirit unifying us and being with us as we sing, as we pray, as we listen. But a lot of people see our behavior in the workplace. They see division in the larger body of Christ. They witness our family dynamics. They see our comments on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
They watch us tear one another down and ridicule our leaders. And they watch us, quote unquote, discuss politics. And they watch us be unable to discuss tough theological issues that they can talk out about outside the church, but we have a hard time talking about here. I wonder what they think. Unity doesn't mean having the same opinions. We don't all have, we're not going to all have the same opinions. That is not, that's just not the way it is. But what it does mean, it means fighting for one another. It means loving one another. It means working out our different opinions, hurts, and offenses. It means not cutting someone off and having a cold war with them. And we're doing this because of Jesus, because he loves us, and because of his fame and his glory. And we're sacrificing ourselves, our own wants and our needs for the body and for him. I almost put up pictures of a bunch of different flags because I was thinking about, Ben talked about it, the banner over us being love. That's true. We're unified because Jesus died for us and provided a way for us to be one people, his people. And the banner over our lives, the flag that goes over us is his love. He loves us and he's called us to love others. And I almost put other flags up there because we, um, you know, when you see a flag from far away, you know who their person's king is. You know the values that they, they, uh, they follow. You know um, what they like and what they think and what they hate and what they don't hate. But then I thought, if I put a bunch of flags up there, that could be divisive in and of, of itself. So I didn't want to do that because we get too attached to those things. The banner really over us is love. That's who we report to. He is our king. And he's calling all of us to be united underneath that flag of love together. And we start here. We start at home, maybe. We start with someone else who's in this body. I don't know what it is for you. What I want you to do is um, think about what priority is unity on your list of priorities. If Jesus prayed for it. If he died for it, what, where's the priority in your life? And take out your insert just for a moment. Actually, I'm going to give you like two minutes. Um, There's a list on page three of, there's 59 um, one another commands in scripture. Because, I think because God knows we need reminders, we need to be constantly reminded to love one another, and we need to be shown how to do it, because in our flesh, we're not going to choose that. Um, so there's 50, 59, I picked out 15 of them that have to do with the unity in the church. So what I want you to do is just read through this list. And listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you personally about which one it is that he wants you to pursue and maybe the person he wants you to pursue that with. So if you could take just like two minutes to do that, we'll just have some silence while we, while we think about it.
you can take that home with you. And I just encourage you to act on whatever the Holy Spirit laid on your heart. Um, our unity, our love for one another is how people will know that Jesus is alive. And it's where we'll find peace and satisfaction. I'm going to end with a story of a woman who, um, her name was Barbara, and she came to PCC, uh, it's been like 10 years ago, and she walked, I remember she walked up into this patio, and it's the first time she's visiting us, and um, she told me afterwards, the reason I came in is because of the joy of the people and the smiles of the people and how they greeted me. And then once she walked in the door, she had a brain tumor. Once she walked in the door um, and she got more involved, she found real community. She found healing. She found hope here. And she came to Christ um, before she died, but she also led many of her family members to Jesus. And we have some of those family members still attending their, this church. So she, her, she was the grandmother, some of her sisters and brothers, and her grandchildren came to Christ because she saw a unified, joyful people of God that welcomed her into this place. Can you put the picture up of the, the little boy? I think, yeah. So th this scripture goes on to say, Psalm 133.3, it says, compares this unity again. It says, it's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing even more. And I think what I want you to get out of this more than anything else, Mount Hermon's a 9,000-foot mountain, and it's a far away from Jerusalem. Mount Zion was a small one that's close to Jerusalem, Mount Mount um, Hermon was wet and cold and lots of snow and dew, and then Zion was dry. And it, it really never, it could never, the dew could never really come over and, and cover Mount Zion. It was too far away. But what this scripture is saying is that our unity is that refreshment. When, when people like Barbara walk in the door, there's, there's a quenching for them and for us that comes because of our unity with one another. So let's pray. Father, thank you for um, loving us, for teaching us, for gently correcting us, for calling us into love, Lord. And I just pray um, for each person in this room and for myself that, again, we wouldn't walk out with um, condemnation, but just conviction that we want to love more like you. We want to be more like you so that the world will know that you are alive and that you have not forgotten them and that you love them. So help us, Lord. Help us to be intentional and to walk out um, to sacrifice and take the time, really, to love one another. We pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.